Everybody doing okay? Doing well? All right. <laughs> Everyone get to go play in the snow a little bit. Is anyone else happy that it's, yeah. Anyone else happy that it's gone, right? All right, a couple of us, all right. My wife was like super upset about it and my daughter, my youngest daughter, went and we have this big like, it's like a Tupperware type bowl and um, she went and filled it up and stuck it in our freezer and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just gonna keep it till summer and I'm like, well, I don't, okay. So, and she stuck a bunch of spoons in it and um, I had, she left a note or something but she said she doesn't want people to double dip so you can eat the snow, you know, throughout the year and it's pretty clever, I guess. Uh, anyways, okay, that was number one. I was gonna ask if you guys had fun in the snow. Number two, I um, wanted to tell you, we'll be starting the book of Romans next week. We'll, be, uh, we'll do like an introduction in half of Romans chapter one. Now, if you've never been through the book of Romans, it's, it, it's a remarkable book of the Bible. And, and just chapter one alone, when you read it, you're like, you would have thought that was written last week. It is so relevant and impactful and powerful. And sometimes it kind of hurts a little bit when you read it, uh, but it is absolutely amazing. We're going to start that next week, and we'll be in Romans for quite some time. Um, CSX is happy about the book of Romans out there. Uh, okay, I'm losing my train of thought. That was number two. Number three, I'm getting there. We're getting there. Number three is, I wanted to tell you guys, thank you so much. We reached our goal. We're actually above $25,000 for EEM already. And hey, listen, that's, that's you guys. We have, if you're new to this church, this is the most benevolent and giving group of people you will ever be around. It is absolutely amazing. Last month, um, on top of the money we give, $30,000 was given to In Slavery Tennessee. And then this month, EEM, which $25,000 will produce over 20,000 Bibles to go to areas like Russia, the Ukraine, Yugoslavia, places like that. So listen, let me, yeah. Let me, let me tell you how cool that is. They don't just go like randomly disperse Bibles in Russia. These Bibles are going into the school systems in Russia. In Russia right now, in their elementary schools, they teach a class called Christian Ethics. And it's not theology, it's the ethics of the Bible. And here's what the Russian government has realized about the Bible. If they teach kids the ethical practices of the Bible, they produce better citizens and better students. So the Russian government has realized that teaching the principles of the Bible makes better people. Fascinating. You guys have just given 20,000 Bibles to that work over there. So thank you. That is awesome. The last thing, and this is where we'll be hanging out for a little bit, is today we're teaching on baptism. I do this three times a year. We do it at all of our campuses. It's a big deal to us. And I wanted to tell you guys, thank you for being here. There are literally some people in this church who have heard me teach this lesson 25 times, and um, I'm glad that you guys still come because, listen, this is kind of the pinnacle or the apex of what we do. Our, our hope is to bring people in, to introduce them to Jesus, and to see them publicly give their lives to Christ. This is like our biggest win, and even if you've heard this lesson 25 times, coming and celebrating this is important because, I'm not trying to sound cheesy, I believe all of heaven celebrates every single time someone chooses to get baptized and go into that water. I believe heaven erupts with laughter and cheering and everything else, and we should want to be a part of that. These are people entering into the family of God. This is a big deal. So even if you've heard this information before, the fact that people are going to get baptized, I think we baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 35 people already this weekend, and we have another 10, I think, signed up for next weekend. 
and then we'll have this service, and it's fabulous. That's great. So thank you for being here. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I say is going to be in that. Everything will be on the screens if you have the app. Everything is on that. And here's what I want to accomplish today, or hope to accomplish. Two things. One, even if you've already been baptized, I hope that by the end of this lesson, you'll have a really, really good biblical understanding of baptism. So just to educate all of us on baptism, I hope that's, that's kind of step number one. The second thing that I hope to accomplish today is if you have not been baptized, I hope that by the end of this lesson, you will feel enough conviction. Maybe you've heard enough, seen enough in this lesson that you will consider taking this step in your walk of faith. Um, it is an absolutely imperative part of your walk. It's, it's an act of obedience. And on a selfish level, it'll just bless you. It'll just bless you to do this, okay? So we have clothes back here. We have towels, people that will help you out, pray with you, get your information so we can stay in touch with you. We got everything taken care of. The water is clean and warm and everything is in good shape, okay? So anyways, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna jump into this lesson. And let's just see where God takes us this morning, okay? The next week, we'll get right back into the Word. We'll be in the book of Romans, and um, that'll be a blast. Honestly, it's going to be a lot of fun, okay? So let me pray, and uh, we'll jump into this. Father God, I love you. Lord, I am beyond grateful for this church, Lord. Uh, I am so thankful, Lord, for their graciousness. I am thankful for their, their servant attitude and heart. God, I pray, Lord, that you bless our church, Lord. God, we don't just pray for this church. We pray for all of our campuses. We pray for all the churches in our city, God. We pray for the churches we work with up in New England, God, and churches we work with in Africa and El Salvador, that you would just keep your hand on all your churches, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for what's getting done with EEM and the ministry that's being done in, in Europe. And we pray blessings over every single one of those Bibles that goes out, God, that so many people come to know who you are because of those Bibles, and Father, Lord, we pray that everything that we talk about today, that it honors you and blesses you, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this whole baptism thing, right? Uh, put it very simply, all baptism is, is it is a public display that one has chosen to become a Christian. The Bible says this is where we become a new man or a new woman. This is where the Bible says we are brought to life. I always use the example of a wedding ring. Baptism is not your salvation. Baptism is a physical representation of the fact that you've been saved. So just like a wedding ring, this is not my marriage. This says to everyone that I am married. I'm taken, right? So when we're baptized, it is saying to everyone, I'm taken. I'm taken by my husband, Jesus. That's what that does. So similar to a wedding ring, it's not your salvation, but it's a representation of the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, in other words, that identifies us as Christians. It's probably the most visible thing we can do to say to the world around us that we're followers of Jesus. It should also be a turning point. It's like one of those mile markers in your faith. You know, when you understand who Jesus is for the first time, that's a mile marker. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins, and then when you're baptized, this is one of those turning points. Because we're getting closer to Jesus, we should be moving further away from sin, okay? That the way we act, the way we think should start to change. And baptism is, again, one of those mile markers. So here's what I hope to do. I wanna show you guys some evidence from the Bible 
that, that kind of gives validity to the argument that we should be baptized. The first big piece of evidence, and maybe one of the most important and blatant pieces of evidence in the Bible, is Jesus was baptized. So we're supposed to do what Jesus does. Jesus was baptized. When Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus was coming to change the way humanity dealt with sin. What does that mean? So if you buy a Bible and you're super brave, let's say you're super brave and you're going to start in the book of Genesis and you're going to start at the Old Testament, you're going to read all the way through this thing. As you go through the Old Testament, the way they dealt with sin is probably a way that, thank God I don't live in that time. I don't know if I could have done it. But they would sacrifice an animal. They would pour the blood on an altar. They would burn parts of an animal, eat parts of it, discard parts of it. And that's how they dealt with sin. And that didn't obliterate sin. It just pushed sin forward to the next year when they had to do this sacrifice all over again. That's why the Bible says that Jesus not only paid for the sins of the present and the future, he paid for all the sins of the past because they had compounded over hundreds and hundreds of years. And so he forgave those when he died on the cross. And so because of what Jesus came to do through repentance, through faith, through getting baptized, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We can do something, again, thank God, right? We can just put our faith in Christ, repent for our sin, get baptized, and our sins are completely obliterated. They're gone, gone forever. And so the Bible says, in the beginning of the book of Matthew, this all kind of started with a guy named John the Baptist. He was kind of the precursor to Jesus. He's the one that came and paved the way, and his role was simply to baptize people. He would tell people that Jesus was coming, the Savior was coming. He would wait in the Jordan River. They say he baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 plus people. That's a lot of people. I'm sure he had a really strong left arm if he was right-handed, right? Constantly dunking people in the water. And one day, Jesus comes up to John as he's baptizing people. Jesus walks up to John and he says, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. Now, imagine if you're John, you know who Jesus is, that he's God in flesh. And of course, John's response was, I can't do that. If, if anyone should be baptizing somebody, you should be baptizing me. But this is what Jesus said to John. Jesus said, it should be done for this is what God requires now. This is how God wants us to deal with sin. He wants us to get baptized. So John goes, okay. So John agreed to baptize him. And after Jesus's baptism, it says that the sky opened up. The Holy Spirit descended down on Jesus, and they heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son who brings me great joy. Okay, so this is interesting. Jesus had no sin. He had no reason to get baptized. He had never done anything wrong. So why did he do it? Jesus got baptized to set the example for us. If we're followers of Jesus, that means we do what Jesus has done. And here's what's interesting. Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. So if Jesus asks us to get baptized, he's already been baptized. If Jesus asks us to sacrifice our life, Jesus has given his life for us. He has already done those things. Another interesting thing is, is we learn that baptism brings God great joy, the Bible says. So the first piece of evidence is Jesus did it. The second piece of evidence that is really, really important 
is there is a promise that is given to us when we are obedient, and part of that obedience has to do with baptism. So if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're not new, but maybe you've never heard it talked about like this, our walk with God is a process. And as this process continues, the closer and closer we get to God, the more we think like God and act like God and respond like God. The fancy churchy word for that is is we're sanctified. We're set apart by God to use us. And the more we grow in our relationship with God, God promises us different things. There are many times in the Bible where the Bible will say, if you do this, God will do that. One of them is, it says, if you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. If you do this, God will do this. Another one of those promises has to do with baptism. In the book of Acts, it says, if we repent for our sin, and if we're baptized as a public profession of faith, God will empower us with the Holy Spirit And we can live in a way that honors God. So if you're reading the Bible, let's say again, let's say you start in the New Testament. You're going to go back and read the Old Testament after you read. You're going to do a kind of Star Wars style, right? Start at episode four, work your way backwards. Anyways, so let's say you start at the book of Matthew. If you had to pick four books in the New Testament that I believe are absolutely imperative, the book of Matthew, the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and the book of Revelation, The reason why the book of Acts is so important is this is where the church was born. And the church was born, really, in Acts chapter 2. What happened was, is about 50 days after Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the grave, the resurrected Jesus told his followers, his disciples, and, and not just the 12, but more disciples, he said, go wait for the Holy Spirit. Go to Jerusalem, stay in this place, and wait for the Holy Spirit. So the the believers of Jesus had no idea what that meant. They know that the prophets in the Old Testament said that there would come a time where God would pour out his spirit. Jesus said, go wait for the spirit. They're like, okay, we'll wait. We don't really know what that looks like. And as they were up in this upper room in Jerusalem, not only did the Holy Spirit come, it came pretty strong. It says like a rushing mighty wind, the Holy Spirit came into the room where the people were praying, filled them all up with the Holy Spirit. They started to speak in languages that they didn't know. They poured out onto the street. It was about nine o'clock in the morning, and there was all these people from all over the world who were in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, and they saw all these Christians worshiping God, talking about Jesus in languages that they shouldn't have known. And everyone's like, man, what's up with the Christians? Maybe they're drunk or something. Who knows? And it's interesting, like pre-Christian days, I used to get intoxicated. I never like spoke, you know, fluid Mandarin or anything like that. But anyways, people are like, they must be drunk. And Peter hears this and he goes, they're not drunk. What's happening is the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on us. And he started to tell them about Jesus. And he said, not too long ago, you guys had the Savior, God's Son, crucified but he resurrected from the grave and he wants you to turn to him. And this huge crowd of people were listening to Peter and they believed him. And then they said, well, Peter, what do we do now? And this is what Peter said. Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is a promise. It's a promise for you. It's a promise for your kids. It's a promise for a lot of people who haven't even heard this yet. And it's said that Peter continued to preach and teach them and urge them to be saved from this corrupt generation. This is important. 
And all the people that heard the message of Jesus got baptized because they had heard about this promise. And it says about 3,000 of them in one day got baptized. What does this mean? This means that God has more for us, that if we're obedient, if we ask God to forgive us of our sins, if we're obedient in baptism, the Lord infills us with the Holy Spirit and he empowers us. And so many Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's one third of what makes up God. You don't need to be afraid of that. The Bible says we just need to be educated about it. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. Brothers, don't be afraid. Be educated on what these things are. So I recommend if you have been saved in this place, if you have repented and if you get baptized, Go back and read Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Learn about these gifts of the Spirit because God gives us these to, to empower us, to spread the gospel better, to build our relationship with him, to learn to love people better. That's why he gives us these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise. There's this activation that takes place in us. Another piece of evidence that is extremely blatant is Jesus straight up tells us in the Gospel of Matthew to baptize people. It's very straightforward. Now, I don't know if anyone else in this room struggles with like a little rebellious streak like I do, right? I'm a youngest child and always like I'm the one that questions everything and I've gotten better about it. And there's a time to question things. But if we consider ourselves Christians, sometimes we need to get over this whole constantly questioning this book and we just need to do what this book tells us to do because God knows better than us. So for some of us, if it tells us to do something, we need to get over our pride, we need to get over our rebelliousness, and we just need to be obedient to what Jesus tells us to do. Now, the reason why that's important is Jesus directly tells us at the end of the book of Matthew, we call it the Great Commission. He says to the church, that's us, he says, go out and make disciples, baptize them, and teach him everything that I've taught you. And he says, remember, I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's talking to that Holy Spirit that I just talked about. So he's saying, that's how God is with us now in his spirit. And so he directly tells us to baptize. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. It's amazing. There are so many people that say they love Jesus, but Jesus would say, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. One of his commands is to make disciples, baptize people, and teach them. The church is supposed to be doing that. Another piece of evidence, and this is where we get more kind of in the, uh, this is where it gets a little bit more personal. This is where I think the rubber kind of meets the road more for us personally. When you get baptized, it is symbolic. The reason why we have a, a tank of water where you go completely under the water and come out of it is it is symbolic of you dying, the old self dying, and the new self rising again. That's what that symbolizes. Now listen, if you choose to get baptized, it doesn't mean that you come out of the water and you're perfect. You never say another swear word. You never think another dirty thought. It doesn't mean that. You're still gonna have struggles. But what has changed is you are not enslaved by a sinful lifestyle anymore. Because God has given you the Holy Spirit, we are not identified as our old selves anymore. That's why biblically, I think the Bible does not, we sometimes use this terminology. I hear Christians say this all the time. I'm talking about people who have repented, been baptized, walk with the Lord. We use this terminology where we go, I'm just a dirty sinner. No, you're not. 
Biblically, that's not a biblical thing for a Christian to say. When we keep saying, oh, I'm just broken. Listen, God does not come into your life to leave you broken. God delivers, God fixes, God changes, God helps us to live a life better than we could ever live that honors God. And so we need to change the way we speak. We often say, well, I was just born that way. I was born with a bad temper. Well, you need to be born again, and God needs to deliver you of that anger problem. Things like that, right? So we need to change the way we think about our interaction with God. Look what Paul says. We're going to get to this in in a couple of months. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, look at this, we walk in a new way of life. We're not the same as what we used to be. God has empowered us to live better in a way that honors him. He goes on, for if we've been united with him in the likeness of death, certainly we'll be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know, I love this part, we know that our old self is crucified. Well, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) No, you're not. That person was crucified so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we're no longer enslaved to sin since a person who has died, baptized, is freed from sin. doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up. doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but that's no longer your identity. Becoming a Christian does not mean, again, that you'll never make another mistake, but we're not slaves to that sinful lifestyle. We can be delivered. We can be changed. And the whole point of having a relationship with Jesus is Jesus takes us off a trajectory that is going towards death, and he puts us on a trajectory that is going towards life. That's the whole point in being saved by Christ. And that leads us to another very, very relevant thing about baptism, especially in the day and age we live in. When we get baptized, we are taking on a new identity. Now, here's the thing. There's no magical formula with baptism. If you choose to get baptized today in a relative or a friend or a spouse or a parent or a child, whatever, if they baptize you, there's no magical words that they can say to get you into heaven. There's no magical words they cannot say that thwart your salvation. That's not how it works. It is dependent on the genuineness and repentiveness, if that's a word, of your heart when you get into that water. But I always tell people, praying for people as they're getting baptized, that is important. We want to pray the name of Jesus over people. We want to pray protection over people. We want to pray that people are blessed and that their relationship with God grows exponentially. But even beyond just what we say, I want you to know why we're getting into that water, why you get baptized. And one of the reasons why you get into that is you are adopting the identity of Jesus. That is important. Listen to me. That's important because we live in a day and age where we identify with everything. In fact, we've become such a culture of idolatry. Gender has become an idol. Color of skin has become an idol. How much money we have in our bank account has become an idol. Our nationality has become an idol. And what Paul says is this. He goes, you're not a Jew or a Greek. You're not a slave or a free person. You're not a man or a woman. We're identified as followers of Jesus. 
That doesn't mean there's anything wrong about being proud about being black or proud about being a woman or proud about, you know, I don't know, being from the United States. That, those are all fine and good. But above all those things, our identity is found in Christ. Listen, you are not made in the image of the United States. You are not made in the image of masculinity or femininity. You are not made in the image of your skin color. The only thing that you are made in the image of is your creator, and that's God. That's where we find our identity. And we live in a culture that is seeking fulfillment and identifying with all these things. And it's just not happening because that's not what you're made in the image of. Salvation only comes when we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus above all things. Again, it's fine, man. When you, you know, I don't really think about how proud I am to be an American until the Olympics are on, you know, and then like nationalism really takes hold of you. You're like, come on, Michael Phelps, you know, like you just become all about being an American. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to remember above all those things, we are Christians. We're Christians. So here's the big question that people always ask. They always say, well, Corey, do we have to do it to be saved? Do you find it odd that Christians argue how little they have to do to go to heaven? Isn't that interesting? We'll talk about that here in a second, though. The argument that people always use, well, do you have to do it to go to heaven, is they say, well, the thief on the cross went to heaven. He wasn't baptized. And my response to that is, I don't think he had an option to get baptized. <laughs> but again, right, it's beside the point. Let's talk about this question of, do we have to do it to be saved? When you get into the New Testament, so again, let's say you're reading this Bible all the way through, you get to the book of Acts, which is a fabulous book of the Bible. When you get to the book of Acts and you see the birth of the church, and you see people starting to go all around the world and share the gospel, right? Typically what happened, every single time someone would have an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with the gospel, four things would happen. The first one is, of course, they would believe, right? They believe that Jesus is God. The second thing is once they believe Jesus is God, they repent for their sin. Now, I need to clarify what repenting is. Repenting is not just saying you're sorry. Repenting is making a conscious effort to walk away from evil. So it's not enough to just say, God, forgive me that I keep looking at pornography on my computer. True repentance is, Lord, forgive me, and I'm going to take whatever steps I have to to stop looking at that stuff. That's true repentance. It is wanting to walk in obedience to Jesus. So you have belief, you have repentance, and then what I call daily faith or saving faith, which isn't, it means not only do I believe that Jesus is up there, I trust him with my marriage, I trust him with my kids, I trust him with my job, I trust him with everything in my life. Regardless of what happens, I know that God is in control. I love him. I have a relationship with him. I'm going to be okay. It is this daily faith. And then the fourth thing you typically always see in the New Testament when one becomes a believer is they get baptized. There's this outward profession of an inward work that God has done. I think probably the most famous story of baptism is when the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized. It's in Acts, I think chapter 8, somewhere in that ballpark. And so what happens is, is there's this really prominent, rich, powerful Ethiopian man. He was worshiping in Jerusalem, um, and he came back, and he was reading the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And he was reading the book of Isaiah. And so he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he happened to be reading a part of the book of Isaiah that was talking about Jesus, prophesying about the Savior. Philip, one of the followers of Jesus, was kind of creeping up by the caravan next to the Ethiopian eunuch, and 
heard what he was reading and he goes, hey, you know what you're reading? The Ethiopian guy goes, I don't, do you? And he goes, I do. You're reading about Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about him? Ethiopian invites him into the caravan. They're riding together. We don't know their whole conversation, but obviously baptism came up in the conversation because the Ethiopian goes, hey, there's some water. Can we go get baptized? Philip's like, heck yeah. It's not in the Bible. I just kind of threw that in, but heck yeah, we can get baptized. They go and the Ethiopian gets baptized. It's his first response almost, right? To realizing who the Savior was. Believed. If he had any sin, I'm sure he asked for forgiveness for it. Then he found some water and got into it. Now listen, none of this answers the question, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? And the reason why I have never really answered that question is I think it's a terrible question. Imagine if your wife walked up to you and said, hey, Corey, I was doing the dishes the other day. Do you, do you think we could ever get divorced? And I'd be like, why in the heck are you asking that, right? If we start asking if we can do less and, and somehow still be together, right? Think, of, think if your wife walked up to you and said, hey, if I like cheated on you, could, I, could, I still, could we still be married? Well, that's not a good question. Whenever we start asking what the bare minimum we can get away with and still be saved, there is a deeper heart issue with us. Let me say it a different way. If you're in here and maybe you've never heard the story or maybe you've never heard it told like this, if you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and we at least have a rudimentary understanding that the God of the universe, the Bible says everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus, if we understand that the God of the universe came to earth, was born in a stable from a poor family, grew up as a carpenter, learned a trade, at 30 years old, left his family, left his trade to go share the news of the kingdom of God, was unlawfully arrested, beat, spat upon, and then murdered violently, nailed to a cross, and he hung on that cross for nine hours before he gave up the ghost and died, and he did all that because we had sinned, if you understand that and then ask God, do I have to get baptized? Do you understand what I'm saying? When we approach the Savior of the universe that did all that for us with the mentality or the heart of what is the bare minimum I have to do, I'd say there's a greater issue at play. There's a greater thing that we have to address so here's, I don't want to guilt you into getting baptized today if you haven't done this, but I want to challenge you. If we are believers in Jesus, if we have come into a saving faith of who Jesus is, we need to ask better questions. If we claim that we love him, if, man, if I'm in love with my wife, I would never walk up to her. Imagine again doing this. You get married, you get back from your honeymoon and you say to your spouse, hey, do we have to keep dating? Do we, have to, do we have to keep being intimate? Can I just stay married and us not do those things? I'd say that your love for that person isn't very deep if it's love at all. So again, if we understand this relationship we have with Jesus and we say, well, do we have to? You've already asked the wrong question. If we truly love Jesus, our question should be more centered around, God, what more can I do for you? What else can I do? Let me tell you guys a little bit about me. 
I have done so many horrible things in my life. A lot of people who don't know me, or maybe you've never been to a next class, you know, you see me up here and maybe assume that I've just kind of lived a squeaky clean life and went to seminary and blah, blah, blah. Never been to seminary, by the way. I was a drug addict, tried to kill myself a couple of times, hurt a lot of people, stole a lot of stuff, been arrested a couple of times. I should be dead. Whenever people say that, I really should have been dead. You can ask my wife. She'd be, yeah, you should have been dead. Like, it was bad. And I don't know if you guys have ever, I don't know if anyone in this room, if you ever have those moments where life just kind of like becomes full color for a second. I don't know if you guys ever have these. I was sitting in my house the other day and I was reading a book. And I'm sitting in the front and I live in a nice, safe neighborhood. And I'm sitting in my front room and I'm looking at the snow. And I hear my kids like laughing and giggling in the other room as they're playing Nintendo. And my wife walks by and she's just like, hey, baby, is that a good book? I got my little dog sitting next to me. And I'm sitting there and it hit me. I shut my book and I'm like, God, I haven't earned any of this. Lord, this is all you. I, should, I shouldn't even be here. I've done so much evil in my life. And God, you've forgiven me and you've blessed me. And I have children and I have a wife that loves me. And I have a multi-poo, right? You know, like I have all these things. <laughs> have you ever had that moment, though, where it just strikes you that God is so, so good? You ever had that? And again, the thought crossed my mind. Lord, how dare I ever try to just skim into heaven? Lord, it's not about me being saved. I just want to have a relationship with my father. I don't even think about salvation anymore. I think about, I just want to be with Jesus. The one that redeemed me, picked me up out of the gutter, put me on stable ground and loves me despite all those horrible things I've done. What more can I do for you? What more can I do for you? So listen, everyone in this room, Regardless of what stage you're at in your faith, all of us have the opportunity to respond to Jesus today. Here's the first thing. If you are in this room, if you're at home watching this, send us an email. Uh, info at experiencecc.com. Send us an email. If you're in this room, though, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you just started and you have questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here, okay? If you have any questions for him, you're not going to upset us. You're not going to offend us. We're not, we're not you know, blown away by questions. Please come and talk to him. If you are in here and you have not been baptized, I just want to ask you, why not? Why not? What is keeping you from doing this? Listen, let's say you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. Let's just, let's just say for argument's sake, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I read you in the scriptures to where when we get baptized, it pleases God. It makes him smile. If we do it for no other reason, we should get baptized just because God loves it. Why have you not done this if you haven't done it? If you want to do this, you go straight through these doors. We'll get you completely set up. Okay. And then the last thing is, if you've been baptized, if you're walking with Jesus, all that's going fine and good. We have the opportunity for us to take communion today. The body and blood of Jesus Christ, a reminder that God loves us so much that he gave his only son that if we just believe in him, we do not die, but we have everlasting life. The greatest words ever written.
that we have that. We can take that communion. This is a time for us, if there's any sin in your life, you have to repent for it But take, before you take communion. It's just a time for us to, to, to be reminded, okay? Here's the last thing. If you want to, it, it always takes people a couple of minutes to go get changed. If you want to hang out for a little bit, they'll show the baptisms on the screens in the room. So you don't even have to get up. They'll be over here. You're welcome to get up and watch if you want to. Um, but please, if you want to stick around, we, we encourage you to do that. All right? Let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, I love this church. God, I love this church so much. I am so honored to be a part of this church. I, I love this congregation, God. I love this congregation. Father, I pray that you keep them safe, Lord. If there's anyone in this room that's maybe new to the faith or maybe they're, they're, they're not even a believer yet, but they're, they're curious, God, Lord, let them come up and talk to Carl. Father, if there's anyone in this room that has not taken the step of baptism, Lord, I pray that in a very, very gentle but also very firm way, God, that you just encourage them to take that step. And Father, Lord, as we take communion today, Lord, let us take it with a repentant heart. And Lord, let us just always remember how much you love us and what you've sacrificed for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God. Thank you for the sunshine today, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, we just all got to worship in here together today, Lord. Protect all my friends, Lord, in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.